All right, well, how are we? Good, we got a few people awake, that's a good thing. Um, hey, I just want to take a minute and just say I want to thank you, uh, all of you who uh, took part in the MLK outreach that we did this past weekend. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we were creating this partnership with Martin Luther King Elementary. And so this last Friday night, we had our first family movie night. And it was kind of an exciting day. We didn't quite know what to expect. So we had a, a crew of us getting ready together on Thursday night, and we putting popcorn bags together. And, and uh, I think we put together like 270 bags, 290 bags or something. And, and we thought, you know, we probably have got more popcorn than we need, you know, and, and uh, that'll be plentiful. Um, and so, uh, you know, we get to Martin Luther King, we're setting up, and, and we're 15 minutes before time's supposed to start, the movie starts. And uh, there's like three kids, and they're all, they're all the principals, you know? And so we're all like, oh, man, you know, we're going to have lots of popcorn to go around. And the cool thing is, families just kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. And, and so I had picked up an extra bag of popcorn, which was, was used, and so I think we gave out over 375 bags that night. Uh, we probably had, you know, 375, 400 people that came. And uh, it was just a, a fantastic opportunity. We had a handful of folks from the church that were there just loving on these families. And um, so it was really exciting. Thank you for those of you that participated. Thank you for those of you that prayed for that. Um, we're going to look for some additional opportunities to uh, plug in a Martin Luther King, another movie night in April and some different things. So uh, continue to pray for, for those families. Uh, you know, the cool thing is seeing these kids, seeing these families come in. You know, this is what these families want. They want to be able to grow together. They want to be able to support each other. And so we're excited to be able to come alongside Martin Luther King, uh, come alongside uh, Travis, and uh, support their, uh, what's happening there at the school. So if you have a Bible, we're going to just jump right in. We are in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, if you just want to slip your hand up, we've got an usher in the back who uh, would love to be able to, to put one of those Bibles in your hand. And um, if, if you don't have a Bible at home, take that, use it, keep it, mark it up, write your name on it. We'd love for that to be our, our gift to you. A couple of weeks ago, as we've continued through this series of Fight Club, looking through 1 Timothy, uh, we, we dealt with chapter 3. And in chapter 3, what we saw was Paul was laying out, these are the qualifications for an elder, for a leader, for a pastor in the church. He said, these are all the things that if you're going to be a leader in the church, these are the qualifications that you need to meet. Um, and, and really what that became was it becomes what the church needs from its leaders. Really, the church needs its leaders to, to fulfill these qualifications. Uh, these qualifications, as we talked about a few weeks ago, they aren't just, uh, they aren't something that you'd put on a resume. I mean, it's not, I've got this college degree and, and I went to this training. No, these were all more character qualities. It was looking at the character of a man. And so we knew that the church needs men of character to be leading. And so uh, we understood that's what the church needed from its leaders. And now here in, in chapter 5, Paul's going to turn the tables a little bit. Paul's continuing to talk about the church, continuing to talk about this is how Timothy, who's, a, who's pastoring there at the church, this is how you're supposed to organize and structure the church. And now what Paul's going to do, he's going to shift it a little bit and say, hey, this is what the church needed from its leaders. And now we're going to talk about what the leaders need from the church. So as we get ready to read this, we're going to start reading in verse 17, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, as, uh, just to clarify, as we read this term elder, I want to make sure we understand. Uh, the term elder uh, can be used simultaneous with the term pastor, with the term overseer and bishop. And so I'll probably use all these terms and I'll probably get them all mixed up. Uh, just know these are all the same position of leadership that we're talking about in the church. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 17. And this is what it says. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit, do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. 
but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not that are uh, that are not cannot remain hidden. That is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today. We thank you for this building to meet in. Uh, we thank you for your people that have gathered together. And Lord, as we come here today and we open up your word, God, I pray that you would speak clearly to every one of us, that you, that you would draw us to yourself and that you would continue to reveal yourself and draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray for your spirit to be here, that every one of us would feel your presence in this place. God, that you would give us exactly what we need for today. And as we look at this passage, Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding, that we wouldn't just hear uh, the pastor's words, but we would hear your words clearly. Lord, we love you and we praise you and, and we, we, we ask for your presence to be with us now. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as we started out looking at this passage, looking at verse 17, this is what Paul writes in verse 17. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in, in teaching and preaching. See, what Paul is doing is saying, this is what a pastor does. You want to know what a pastor does? Paul's saying, this is what a pastor does. They, they rule the church, and they teach, and they preach. Now, I don't like this word that, I don't like this word that, that the ESV translates rule. I don't like this word rule because it kind of sounds like something that should happen in, in, in Ukraine or, or Russia. It just sounds a little harsh. And so um, the NIV translates this word as directs. And I think that gives a better idea of, of what the pastor or what the elder is supposed to do. The, the, the elder, the pastor, um, they're supposed to lead the church well. They're supposed to lead the church and preach and teach. Now, to, to lead the church, uh, the elders and the pastors, they oversee the church. They, they, they guide the church. They keep the church on its mission. They keep the church on course. This means that they're dealing with facilities and programs and people and staff and memberships and teaching and families. And as we look at Restoration Church, we are 10 months old right now. We are 10 months old. And, and for a 10-month-old church, we have a lot of things going on. I mean, we've got this great building that we're using. We, we come in every Sunday morning and we set up and we bring these cases in and we, 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 we set all this stuff up. Uh, we've got the ministry center. We've got youth group. We've got small groups. Um, we've got all these things. We have children's ministry. We have all these things going on. There's a lot of pieces to a church, a lot of moving pieces that we're trying to manage and keep things flowing. Not all pastors do this well. Not all pastors, not all elders are going to lead the church well. Not all churches are going to be run well. Uh, uh, but let me ask you just this question. You know, we're 10 months old. Let me ask you all a personal question. How is the leadership team here at Restoration Church doing in leading the church? That, hold your excitement. Don't be, calm down. <laughs> calm down now. I'm not taking this personally. Uh, you know, this leadership team here at Restoration, we're not perfect. And, and neither, neither am I. The, the reality is we're, we're coming together and, and a year ago we didn't exist. And so we're trying to figure out how do we do church together? How do we do church in a portable setting? How do we do this well? And, and we're trying to do all that we can to lead this church well. We want to use our resources well. We want to teach the Bible well. We want to love people well. We want to oversee the, the affairs of the church well. Well, does that mean, since you've got this leadership team, does that mean that the direction of the church, uh, the movement of the church, is solely dependent on the leadership team? No. We talked a few weeks ago how we said Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. He's the chief shepherd. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to follow Jesus and, and, and obey Jesus and surrender to Jesus and follow Jesus for where he's leading the church. But, but what this does mean is that God's grace works through people. God's grace works through people that God uses which enables things to be done well. And so notice here in verse 17, Paul uses the word labor. He says, those who labor in preaching or teaching. Now this word labor literally means to toil or to work hard. And I know some of you say, well, you know, the pastor doesn't really work hard. He works one day a week, right? I mean, that's kind of the joke about pastors, you know, um, <laughs> leading the church and teaching is a labor. You know, as if I were to think through all the different things that people have said to me after a service, uh, you know, about my preaching 
you know, this will be fun. You know, there's one guy that came up and he said, you know, pastor, you always, find, you always manage to find something to fill up that time. You know, there was a, there's another sweet old lady and she said, you know, I don't care what they say. I like your sermons. Oh, man. Uh, another guy said, man, if I knew you're going to be good today, I would have brought a neighbor. And a uh, little kid said, hey, pastor, did you know there's 243 panes of glass in that window right there? And uh, my brother-in-law's not here today, so I'm going to pick on him. His, his thing, I love when I get done preaching, he says, hey, man, thanks for not sucking today. Ah! <laughs> oh. <laughs> This is the reality of, 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 I want us to understand that preaching and teaching is what Paul says it is a labor. Paul says in 2 Timothy, he says that we are to study, to show ourselves a, a, a workman approved by God who rightly handles the word of God. See, teaching God's word faithfully, it requires studying. It requires learning. It requires knowledge. It requires work. It's a labor. And so, and so Paul is saying, hey, hey, the, 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 the leaders who lead well, who, who labor to preach and teach, he says, he says uh, you know, if you were to say, well, what does a pastor do? Well, there's this description that I read online. This is what a pastor does. It says, a pastor teaches, although he has to recruit his own students. The pastor is sometimes a lawyer, oftentimes a social worker, something of an editor, a bit of a philosopher, oftentimes an entertainer. He's a salesman. He's a front man for public relations, public functions. He visits the sick. He marries people. He buries the dead. He comforts those who are sad and in sorrow. He admonishes those who are in sin. And he tries to say, stay sweet when he's criticized for not doing everything perfectly. The pastor plans programs. The pastor appoints committees. The pastor spends considerable time in keeping people out of each other's hair. And in between all of that, he prepares a sermon to preach. And then on Monday, he smiles when somebody says, man, I wish I had a job like you where I only worked one day a week. So Paul says, verse 17, he says, let the elders who rule well, who, who preach and teach, he says, they are considered worthy of double honor. Paul says these, these leaders, these pastors, they are worthy of double honor. Now, this is going to come as a surprise to you. When Paul says they're worthy of double honor, what that means is there's two types of honor that they're worthy of, okay? The first type of honor that Paul's talking about is kind of a general honor or, or, or a respect. He's saying the pastors that lead well, that labor in preaching and teaching, they are worthy of your respect, if, if the pastor gives you instruction, gives you correction, gives you insight, gives you time, they are worthy of your respect. Now, let me tell you, as, as elders of this church, as leaders in this church, the reason we are here is we're here because we love you. We, we want to see each of you growing in your faith. We want to see you becoming more like Christ. We want to see God work miracles in your lives. God work miracles in the lives of your family. And as, as the leaders of the church, as we lead and as we guide, we're leading and guiding out of love for every one of you. And as we teach God's word, as we lead, we're trying to, to lead every one of us to be the, under the authority of God's word. And for, for, for God to grow us so we would become more like him. But in order for these relationships to work, in order for the relationships within the church to work, there has to be an honor a respect for the leaders. Paul says, hey, if this is what the leaders are doing, if they're leading well, if they're preaching and teaching, that there is a honor and respect that is due. Now, the reality with respect is all men desire respect, right? All men desire respect. If we were to look in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is writing and he's dealing with, with issues in marriage. And, and this is what he says. He, he deals with what are the needs of both men and women, and, and what does he say? He says, he says, wives, or he says, excuse me, he says, husbands, love your wives. Okay? So women, wives, they need love, right? Men, what happens if we don't love our wives? It's called the couch, right? I mean, is that what we're talking about? If we don't love our wives well, it doesn't go good. Okay? And then Paul says, likewise, he says, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, men, we need respect. If men aren't respected, it just doesn't go well. 
And so this is the conflict in marriage. You know what women desire? Men, they want to be loved. Women, you know what your husbands desire? They want your respect. Men need respect. Men live in respect like a fish lives in water. And, and, and this is especially true for pastors. Pastors, in order to lead well, in order, they need your respect. It's an honor issue. I mean, how many of you can look back into your life, and you look back into uh, uh, your testimony of, of where God has brought you, and you can think back to maybe a pastor, maybe a mentor, someplace back in your life, and this mentor, this pastor, they, they taught you God's word. They, they loved you well. They led you well. Can you think back and picture somebody along your path who did that? See, it may be time for you to send a little letter, a little email, a little card to them. I know some of you don't like sending cards, and that's okay. But it would be wise for you to take time and just say, Hey, you know what? Thank you for leading me. Thank you for teaching me God's word. Thank you. Here's where I'm at. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Now we're, we're in downtown Yakima, and we're a part of a 10-month-old church plant. And it's crazy, and God's using us. Thank you for the investment you made in me. I had the opportunity to email one of my old mentors who now is semi-retired in, in northern Wisconsin. And this was a guy who, who taught me how to study God's word, who taught me how to teach God's word. He taught me how to love my wife. I mean, he taught me how to do some, some really basic things. And, 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 I, and, I lo- and I miss him, man. And so as I had the chance to think about him, I sent him a little letter and just said, hey, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for the investment you made in me. Thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. And I said, hey, look, look what God's done with us now. Now, somehow God has put me as a pastor of a church plant in downtown Yakima. Praise God. Thank you for the investment you made in me. So this type of honor, the first type of honor that Paul's talking about is a respect. An honor for, for the position for those in that leadership. The second type of uh, honor that Paul's talking about is an honor um, uh, that he is to be supported by those he serves so he can provide for his family. It is, a, it is providing financial support. See, not every elder is going to receive this type of support, but there are those that are in full-time vocational ministry that the church should provide those type of support. Now, I know, we're at church. Anytime you start talking about money, it gets uncomfortable, right? Gets a little bit, and nobody wants to, I don't want to talk about money. I'm the last guy that wants to talk about money. I mean, it's uncomfortable and everybody has their, their reservations. But this is why we, we, we want to take God's word and we, we go through a book of the Bible like First Timothy and we go through the whole entire thing because it makes us deal with the issues that we don't want to deal with. It makes us deal with uncomfortable things. Now, I know when we start talking about money, uh, it can become a touchy subject. I mean, when we think about culturally, we think about some examples that we've read in the newspaper recently. You know, there's uh, reading an article uh, in the newspaper about uh, the, the Catholic cardinal who's trying to build a, build a $25 million mansion for him to live in. I mean, we hear those examples and think, really, I'm supposed to give my money to the church? Um, there's, uh, last November, there was a, a news article about a, a famous, well-known pastor in North Car- South Carolina who was building a three-plus million dollar mansion um, uh, funded by the church and funded by books that he'd written for the church and different things. Um, if you ever see the, the previews for the show Preachers of L.A., you, see, you ever saw that show? You've got the preacher driving up in a Bentley, and he says, yeah, this is what we need so people can come to know Jesus. I mean, this is not what we're talking about. I want you to put those reservations aside. This is not what we're, we're not talking about Bentleys and mansions and, and, that, and, and that kind of thing. That's not what Paul's talking about. In fact, when we looked at the qualifications for an elder being an elder a couple weeks ago, we said in in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, one of the qualifications was that an elder, a pastor, cannot be a lover of money. They cannot be a lover of money. So the real question comes, is the elder or the pastor, are they more concerned about the expected reward or are they more concerned about following Jesus? Because honestly, when we surrender ourselves to follow Jesus, you know, there's, there's a sacrifice that comes in that. There's a sacrifice that comes. Before my wife and I surrendered to full-time ministry, I, I worked a great job through uh, uh, the Washington State Patrol. One of those jobs were, 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 from the world standard, you've got security. You've got safety. It, it looks like a good job and a good place to spend your career. 
And, and when you leave that, you kind of say, hey, God, I'm just going to trust that you're going to take care of me. And I'm going to give up what's safe and what's secure to be obedient to where God is calling us. So in support of Paul's claim that pastors should be financially supported, Paul is going to deal with two examples, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. First, he says in verse 18, he says, For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. Now, back in those days, when the oxen were treading out the grain, they would put a muzzle on the oxen so it couldn't eat the grain that, it, that, it's, that it's treading out. So you've got this ox, it's out in the field, it's plowing, it's, 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 uh, um, it's plowing the field, and out of the field comes a harvest that will take care and feed the master, but the master muzzles the ox to prevent it from eating the food that it's producing. And so the analogy here is simple. If God cares about the oxen and making sure the oxen has the chance to eat, don't you think the pastor care? Don't you think God cares about the pastor? Then Paul gives an example from the New Testament. In fact, he quotes Jesus from Luke chapter 10, verse 7, and he says, The laborer deserves his wages. So here's the deal. And every other job, okay, you look at the guys that work for the county that hold the shovels. Uh, or they dig holes, but a couple of them are usually just holding the shovel. You've seen it on the side of the road. No objection. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying. I mean, uh, you've got these guys. If they don't get paid, they don't hold the shovel, right? If they don't get paid, they're not digging ditches. I mean, that's not going to happen, right? And so this is what he's saying. He's saying that if a elder, if a pastor leads well, if they labor in preaching and teaching, they deserve a wage. Now, in church, as we talk about money, this is when the time everybody expects us to take an offering, right? I mean, this is, this is the time to pass the basket. That's not what we're going to do. I want to, you know, as we look and we say we're, we're 10 months old, I want to thank you for your support of Restoration Church. I want to thank you that, that in the past 10 months, you know, the Lord has continually, continually provided for this church. You know, Samantha and I, uh, our needs are met, and we're thankful for that. And, and, and it's for those of you that are continuing to give to the church, thank you. Uh, we're able to, to pay our bills. Uh, the church is able to have the bills paid. Uh, we would love to be able to do more. We would love to be able to, to do more in our city and to reach out. But, but we aren't going to make this a heavy-handed, we need more money, we need you to, to, to mortgage your house and give to the church. You know, I just want to thank you for your faithful support in, in, in God's mission right here at Restoration Church. So that's double honor. Um, Paul says the first one is a respect and the second one is a, is a financial support. And what Paul is going to do next is, uh, is uh, Paul is going to uh, give Timothy some instruction on, how, instruction on how to deal with accusations that are brought for the elders. See, we've got to remember the context of what Timothy's dealing with. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and Timothy's trying to lead this church, and it's just utter chaos in the church. There are these false teachers that are leading people astray. They're wolves eating the sheep is what they're doing. And, and, and there's chaos in the church. And, and, and Timothy's supposed to be there. and He's supposed to lead the church. And, and he's a young pastor. And he's trying to figure it out. And so Paul's writing him instructions. Hey, this is how you need to do this. This is how you lead the church. And so uh, look at what Paul says in verse 19. Paul says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You see, undoubtedly, when, when, when Timothy's coming in and he's getting ready to clean house and deal with these issues, undoubtedly there's going to be all sorts of accusations that are going to be thrown out. There's going to be all sorts of people that are up in a roar and wanting to, to create conflict and say, hey, why is this happening? And so Paul says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You see, the third thing... Uh, the second thing, I actually have to look. The second thing that an elder or a pastor or a leader needs is they need some sort of protection. They need protection. There's this cartoon uh, that I remember one of my old pastors sharing with me. It was a far side cartoon. I think we have it up here. You've got two elk here, and uh, one of them's got a bullseye in his chest, and he says, Bummer birthmark, dude. Now, this pastor said, Hey, when you step into leadership, what you're effectively doing is you're putting a bullseye in your chest. 
as a leader steps forward to lead, what they're doing is, is essentially they're putting a bullseye on their chest because everybody is going to criticize. Everybody knows the right way for things to be done. They're going to say, that guy's not doing it right. I know all the answers. I mean, that's why, that's why during the NFL season, you have the Monday morning football club, the quarterback club, right? That's where all the old guys get together and they say, well, did you see the game last night? You know, this is what they should have done. If they would have done this, if I was in there, we would have won the game, right? I mean, this is, this is what we do. We just want to criticize leadership and say, well, you made the wrong mistake. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not making those decisions myself. But if, if I'm going to sit back and I'm going to criticize what you're going to do. Everyone will have an opinion of what isn't happening and have an opinion of whether or not a leader is doing things that are right or not. And so uh, I'm not saying that all criticism is bad, not at all. But oftentimes, instead of, uh, oftentimes what we do is instead of addressing our thoughts and our ideas with a leader, instead what we do is we start calling our friends. We start calling others in the church. And pretty soon we've got 10 of us talking about all the problems within the church without ever dealing and saying, hey, leader, here, here's a suggestion. And so what happens is quickly, instead of having criticism that, that benefits the church, it quickly leads into gossip. And then we've got half the church that are all pulled into this, and we're all complaining about this and that, but we aren't doing anything to solve the problem. We're just complaining about it, getting everybody emotionally involved, and we aren't dealing with the issue at hand. And, and, and so this type of criticism, when, it, when it's talked amongst people, things spread, and, and pretty soon somebody say, well, oh, you know, I heard that the pastor did this. And, and the next person says, well, I heard this. And then pretty soon it gets down the road. And then, and then somebody says, well, well, you know, I heard that the pastor beats his wife. And, and I heard that the pastor um, is, 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 uh, doesn't pay his bills. And pretty soon what started as, as, a, as a simple criticism that could have been dealt with in the church, it becomes this huge ordeal. And so Paul is saying here, he's saying pastors need some protection. He says, do not admit. This word admit, it literally means acknowledge. Don't even acknowledge a charge against an elder, against a leader, against a, a pastor, unless there, the, unless there is the evidence of two or three witnesses. If someone calls and says, hey, did you hear what the pastor did? And, and at that point, you don't even acknowledge it unless there's evidence of two or three witnesses. This isn't just you and your best friend saying, oh, let me complain about the pastor. No, this is, you don't even acknowledge it unless there's a witness. Really, what this is, is, is Paul's alluding to the Matthew 18 principle. In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking, he says, this is how you deal with conflict. He says, first, uh, Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17, he says, if your brother sins against you, first go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. Means if you got a problem with somebody in the church, your first responsibility is not to go and call half the church and invite them into it. He says, You got a problem with somebody, your first responsibility is to go to them one on one and say, Hey, here's the issue I have. Then, if they don't respond, then you go and get a couple of witnesses to come with you and you deal again with that person. And if that doesn't solve the issue, then it gets brought before the entire church. I mean, this is, this is a way that all of us would want to be treated, right? I mean, whatever, whatever position you're in, whatever you do, if somebody has a problem with you, do you want them to go and spread it out to half the church? Or would you rather them come and say, hey, here's my issue. Here's my concern. Here's my criticism. Here's my idea. Here's my suggestion. Isn't it much more effective for us to go one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, here's my suggestion. Here's what I think needs to be dealt with. I mean, this is, this is, this is the uh, expectation that all of us would have for each other. That, that people would respect us enough where if you have an issue, hey, don't let this be some nameless email. You know, it, it's so funny because oftentimes, a few times, uh, you'll get notes in the, in the offering basket that say, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. But you know, it's kind of a coward when you don't have your name on it. Kind of a coward thing where you're going to criticize but not put your name on it. Right? We're not looking for that. We're looking for a respect and love amongst each other, amongst our relationships between all of us within each other, that we're going to deal with each other in a, in a fair manner. So Paul says, this is, uh, if we don't have this type of protection for leaders, if we don't have this kind of a protection with each other in our relationships, that it quickly escalates to gossip. You know what gossip does? Gossip 
kills relationships. It destroys relationships. Gossip destroys people. Proverbs 28.18 describes gossip as more harmful and long-lasting than physical harm. That's what gossip does. So what if there's a legitimate issue with, the, issue with an elder or a pastor? What if there's a pastor who's in sin? What are we supposed to do then? Well, if two or three witnesses come forward and say, you know, this pastor, he's an alcoholic. This pastor, he's, he's, he's having an affair. Whatever it is, Paul says in verse 20, he says, For those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may stand in fear. So just as important as a pastor having protection, pastors and elders also need accountability. They need accountability. What happens is an accusation uh, is noticed amongst the church and it's brought before the elders. And the elders convene kind of like the Supreme Court and they look at the charge. And they look at the issue and and they verify the witnesses. They, They verify it's a credible charge. And then they bring the elder and the pastor in front and they rebuke the elder and the pastor publicly. Paul says, so others may take warning. See, we, 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 the way this would look here is we would bring an elder or pastor forward. Um, we would say, hey, this guy is, has sinned. They're not living up to the qualifications of an elder that Paul wrote in, in, in 1 Timothy 3. And we'll rebuke him publicly as a warning to, to all of us in here. And, and, and if they've disqualified themselves from filling that role of elder, they'll be removed from being an elder or a pastor. Now, typically when we deal with sin, if it's a private sin, it's best to deal with a private sin privately. And if it's a public sin, uh, it's got to deal with it publicly. So if somebody is, is working for the county, they're embezzling thousands and thousands of dollars, and, and they get caught, and it's all over the newspaper, everybody's writing about it, that's a public sin. It needs to be dealt with publicly. Hey, this is how we're handling it, okay? Now, a pastor is a different role. An elder is a different situation. They are a... Um, public leader. And as elders, as pastors, we set an example. And those of the, those of the rest of us in the church are supposed to look to and follow those examples. So if, if one of our elders sins, it's a public issue, and it must be dealt with publicly to warn others, hey, don't keep following this guy because they're in sin. They're not living the way that they should. Paul says in verse 21, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of uh, the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. See, he's saying this. He's saying, hey, just because a leader is well-liked, just because a leader can raise a lot of money, just because a leader can preach a great message to a crowd, just because everybody loves a leader, it doesn't give them a shortcut for holiness. There can be no partiality, no favoritism. Unfortunately, what happens oftentimes in churches is the churches say, well, hey, hey, we love our pastor. We love this guy. You know, he, he, he's our buddy. He's worked so hard. He's helped us through some hard times. And so, you know, we can just look, look over what's happening. Paul's saying, no, it can't work like that. We have to eliminate, eliminate prejudice either for or against a leader. See, leaders, elders, pastors, they must be holy and godly men. This doesn't mean that an elder or pastor is perfect. That doesn't mean that's going to happen. There's only one perfect man, and that was Jesus. But elders and pastors are to be qualified according to the qualifications in God's word in 1 Timothy and Titus. The, 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 this high standard is so important for us uh, because with God, the, God our Father, with, with Jesus Christ and the holy angels watching, the reality as to why these qualifications are so high is because the reputation of, of God is at stake here. The reputation of God is at stake. If a leader in the church should become unqualified, to allow them to continue in their leadership position, it dishonors the name of Jesus. It dishonors the name of Jesus. If we allow an unqualified leader to lead, what happens is that begins to put a stench and God's reputation in our city. People know what's happening. They see this leader who's living this two-faced life. And, and if we allow that to happen, it begins to put a, a, a bad stench around the reputation of Jesus. And you know, what is it that we're called to do? 
We're called here at Restoration Church to know Christ and to make Christ known. We don't want to do anything that hurts the reputation of Jesus. Because the reality is, you know, I wasn't going to mention this today, but the reality is, last night there was a, a concert happening here. And, 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 and outside, there were some issues. And there was a shooting right outside on this corner. And a young 22-year-old man was shot to death. 50 feet from where we're standing right here. Okay? The reality is, this is the city in which we live in. There's people that need Jesus. There's people that need their lives to be changed by Jesus. And if we allow anything to hurt the reputation of Jesus, guess what's going to happen? Jesus is not going to be someone that they want to come to. They're not going to be changed by Jesus. So that's why, as leaders, as a church, we have to be careful with God's reputation. Because that's what's at stake. We have, a, we have a city that we're called to make Christ known for. And we want that Christ to be as appealing as it can be and not be stenched in a cloud of sin. So pray for us. Pray for our leadership team. Pray for every one of us in the church. Pray for our, our holiness. Pray for us that we would be in accountability, that our marriages, that our finances, that our workplaces, well, we would all be accountable in them and that we would be, be, be holy and godly men and women in those places. Pray for us as we co-labor together with a mission of knowing Christ and making Christ known. The last thing that Paul says a leader needs from the church Number four is he said he needs a season of testing. He says a leader needs a season of testing. Verse 22 says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. This is specifically talking about the installation of elders. See, in the Old Testament, uh, what they would do is they would take, uh, they would lay hands on a sacrificial animal. As they're going to sacrifice an animal for their sin, they would lay their hands on it in order to identify themselves with that animal. Additionally, when you would commission leaders, when you would commission leaders to go out and represent, you would lay your hands on them and pray over that leader, identifying yourselves with that leader. And here in the New Testament, it's the same thing. When a person is ready for leadership, to become an elder, to be a pastor. We lay hands on them. We identify with them. And what we are saying is that we know that God has already placed his hand on this person's life. And now we are confirming publicly what God has already done. How God has already called them and equipped them to be that leader. And Paul says, do not be hasty in doing this. Don't be hasty. Don't be too quick in, in putting a person into leadership. See, there needs to be a season of testing. When we talked about those qualifications for leaders, again, there's not a resume that you can say that I fit all these things. It's all about character. And it takes time to know somebody's character. So what happens is oftentimes when somebody is called to pastor uh, or, or to be in leadership, we put them into a ministry without sufficient uh, testing. They're not exactly ready. In fact, we had, we had a young man... Um, in a church we were going to before, a young man who said, hey, I'm called to be a youth pastor. And he goes off to Bible college and, 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 and gets his degree in, in, in youth ministry or whatever else. And, and he comes back home and he applies for a job at the church. And this young man did not get the job. And I remember this young man was so frustrated and angry. He's like, man, this is dumb. This is, you know, I hate this. This is, you know, the reality is, is I had the chance to see this young man a couple days ago. And uh, this has been a couple years down the road. And he said, man, he said, I was not ready. He said, I have had so much growing up to do. I was still one of these young kids that thought I had all the answers. And I was God's gift to the world. And he said, I had to get humbled and realize, hey, you know what? It's by God's grace that he can use me. And I, and I looked at this young man and I said, man, I think you're almost ready now. This is exciting to see this young man as he's beginning to learn and to grow. I mean, there was a season of testing that needed to come for this young man. So, so. Elders, pastors, they need a season of testing to ensure that those qualifications are, are met. Because again, these are things that you can't put on a resume. All right, so now we're going to deal with verse 23. And verse 23 is kind of this weird verse that kind of seems almost out of place. It says this. It says, Paul, Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, no longer drink only water, but use a little bit of wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, why Paul brings this verse up um, could be any number of reasons. 
But one reason, as I read commentaries this week, that seemed to make sense as to why Paul inserts this verse is, again, Timothy is dealing with a, a bunch of false teachers. And one of the false teachings that these teachers were teaching was this idea of, of asceticism, which basically means you are to um, give up any worldly pleasure. So all those things that, that give you pleasure, marriage, eh, you can't participate in that. You can't be married because it gives you pleasure. Um, certain foods, you know, um, certain foods, cheeseburgers, bacon cheeseburgers. That's my favorite. You can't have that because that is a pleasure. And so they were, they were promoting this idea that you're supposed to, and, and Paul wrote, uh, uh, Nate addressed this a couple of weeks ago. Paul wrote in chapter 4, verse 4, he says this. He says, everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So why did Paul insert this verse about wine? Probably because Timothy and those around him were, were doing this asceticism and say, hey, we can't partake of this. Okay? Since it's here, we've got to deal with it. Now, when we read this verse, you know, depending on what, what, what kind of background you grew up in, there are some people that say, well, well, well Christians, especially pastors, they can't touch alcohol. You know, there's one commentator I was reading this week, and he said, he said, this is what he said, well, obviously, Paul doesn't mean wine. Really? Well, really, he means Pepsi. He's talking about Pepsi. Really? I don't see Pepsi here, okay? Um, I, same thing in John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle. Jesus, he turned water into Dr. Pepper? He turned water into wine, okay? Now, when I read God's word, I think it actually means what he says. I think that when, 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 when Paul says to Timothy, hey, drink a little bit of wine, I think he actually means drink a little bit of wine, okay? Uh, Timothy, we got to, again, we, we picture what's going on in Timothy. Timothy's trying to lead this church. The church is in chaos. There's wolves that are stealing sheep. And, and, and he's supposed to lead all of this. Timothy's his young leader. He's trying to figure it out. And, and, and what the commentators believe is that Timothy had some sort of stress ulcer. He had a lot of stress going on. And, and, and Paul is writing to him and he's saying, Timothy, calm down. Have a, have, a, have a glass of wine and just calm down. Notice, Notice that Paul says it's a little bit. It's not a lot. It's not talking about a lot of wine. It's a little bit of wine. Again, the qualification for an elder is that they are not given to drunkenness. That's the key. Okay, that's the key. Now, I know th this topic of alcohol is different in our day and age. Um, I know there are some of you that struggle with alcoholism. And I, I just want to say, hey, we love you. If that's you, we love you. We care about you. And we want you to stay away from alcohol altogether. You know, I have a uh, family history of alcohol in my family. There's alcoholism that has affected uh, generations of my family. So I have a, a reservation with alcohol because I know how it affects, I know how it has affected those in my family. But the reality is we don't, we don't want to say just because some of us struggle with it, hey, it doesn't say we can't drink of it. It says it's okay to have a little bit if you're not given to drunkenness. You know, for those of you that struggle with alcoholism, Hebrews 12 talks about the sin that so easily besets us. See, I, I would say that when, when the, the writer of Hebrews describes the sin that so easily besets us, we all have sins that we struggle with. Some of you struggle with alcohol. Some of you don't. Some of you struggle with lust. Some of you don't. Some of you struggle with lying. Some of you don't. We all have sins that we struggle more than with somebody else. And so the reality is, hey, figure out what that is. Figure out your weakness and avoid it. I mean, if alcohol is your weakness, then stay away from it. If you know it leads you down to a bad path and you can't control it, stay away from it. I mean, this is just common sense, right? <laughs> I love this. I love this. So Paul says, you know what? It's okay, Timothy. Have a glass of wine. Calm down. Calm your nerves so you can lead the church well. So we got to finish. Verse 24 and 25. Paul says, says this. He says, The sin of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Paul's saying this. Paul's saying, Some people, 
Your sins are obvious. We can see it coming. It's obvious. We can smell it on your breath. We can see it in your life. Your sin is out there. It's obvious. Your life is falling apart because of your sin. And everybody can tell and everybody can see it. Right? There are some of you, some of us, that are living this way right now. Okay? And some of us, we're sinning. But it hasn't quite caught up to us yet. We're sinning, yet we're not quite divorced yet. We haven't got caught committed that felony yet. We haven't died and gone to hell yet. So we become a little too comfortable. We become a little too apathetic, a little too indifferent. And we become disinterested in what God has to say because our sin has not yet caught up with us. In the same way, Paul says good deeds, some of them are obvious. And, and even those good deeds that, that can't be seen, they can't be hidden as well. They're going to come out. Okay? What this reality of this is, is that all of us sin. We all sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means every one of us in here are sinners. And some of us, some of us, our sin is out before us. And it's, it's wreaking havoc in our life, and we're struggling through it, and everybody knows it. And some of us, our sin hasn't quite caught up with us. It's there, but it hasn't wrecked us just yet. The question is, the question is, how do we deal with sin? How do you deal with your sin? You can't make up for it. You can't make up for your sin. I mean, if, if I were to punch you in the face and then go help a kitty out of the tree, that doesn't make it right, does it? I mean, that doesn't make, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make things right. No, we have to deal with our sin. And can I suggest how we deal with our sin? Can I suggest that we give it to Jesus? See, Jesus, he dealt with our sin. He dealt with every dumb thing we've ever done. Every stupid and dumb thing that we've done, every sinful thing that we've done, he dealt with on the, on the cross. He took every one of our sins upon himself. He paid our penalty. He suffered in our place. So, he did. He suffered in our place. He died in our place. He became the substitute for me and for you and for every one of us. As he hung on the cross, he's paying the penalty for every one of our sins. You know what the penalty for sin is? It's death. It's death. It's the penalty for sin, the wages of sin is death. So what we deserve for, for our sin was death. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to pay your penalty for you. I'm going to take that for you. I'm going to suffer for you. I'm going to die for you so you don't have to die for your sin. This is what Jesus did. He, he became our substitute. You say, well, what does he ask of us? What does he ask of us? He says in, first, in John chapter 1, he says that we are to receive him. We are to believe in him and surrender our lives to him. We repent. We give our sin to God. We say, God, I'll follow you. God, I'll follow you. And we exchange our sinful life for his sinless life. We exchange our sin for his perfection. We exchange our death for his life. This is what Jesus did for us. This is how we deal with our sin. And this is, this is what it's about. This is the only way that any one of us can be forgiven and freed from our sin is through Jesus. It's the only way that we're going to experience freedom in this life. So I want to ask, have you surrendered your life to God? Have you accepted him as your savior? Have you exchanged your life for his? If you have not done that, if you do not have a relationship with God, our savior, why not today? Why not today? Call out to God and say, God, I believe. I receive. And I surrender my life for yours. God, I'll follow you because of what you've done for me. Why not today make that call? Why not today call out to God? Say, God, I got to deal with my sin. God, would you deal with it for me? I want to invite you this morning to respond to God's word with me. Here at Restoration, our desire is for every one of us here today to connect with God.
So we set up our services intentionally where we include several worship songs after the message where we have the opportunity to personally respond to God's word. So I encourage you today to connect with God however you need to. If you need to just close your eyes and spend time with God in prayer, just call out to him. Say, God, I've had this kind of a week. It's been horrible. You know what's happened, God. I need you. I encourage you, just close your eyes and call out to him now. Call out to him during this time of worship and just commune with him. If, if you just need to close your eyes and, and, just, and just praise him and, and worship him and get lost in the worship, I invite you to, to join the worship team and just sing praises to our Savior. Take that opportunity to join us as we sing. And if, and if you would like to talk with me, if you'd like to, to pray with me, to have me pray for you, I would love the opportunity to do that. If you say, hey, I want to have Jesus as my Savior. I want to receive him today. I'd invite you during these couple of songs, come up in this front row. I'd love the opportunity to pray for you and, and to talk with you. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are a great God. That is the reason we hear. That is the reason why we worship. And God, I pray, I pray for every one of us in here today that your spirit would rest on us right now, that we would feel your presence, that you would speak to us however it is you need to speak with us, that you would draw us to yourself, that we would take this time right now to surrender ourselves to you. That you would meet us in this place and you would give us exactly what we need. For those that are hurting today, God, that you would be our comfort. For those that are stressed out today, God, that you would be their peace. And for those that are overwhelmed with your grace, that you would allow them to worship you and praise you for who you are and what you've done. God, I pray for those in here today who are, who are needing to surrender to you as your Savior. I pray that today would be the day that they would surrender to you. That they would say, God, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe in what Jesus did for me. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. And God, today I receive you as my Savior. God, I need you as my Savior. And from now on, Lord, I will follow you and I will be surrendered to you. God, I pray that would be their prayer today. God, I thank you for Restoration Church. I thank you that you allow me to be an elder and a, and a pastor here. Lord, I thank you uh, for what you've done in this church and for the community that you're building right here. God, I pray that you would continue to grow it. I pray that you would continue to bless the relationships here, that, that Lord, you would continue to guide and to lead every one of us. Lord, that your reputation would continue to be stretched and grown in this city. And that more people would come to know you as your Savior, Lord. That your reputation would fill this place, God. God, we love you and praise you. And thank you for sending Jesus to the cross that enables us to worship you now. We ask this in your name. Amen.